Well, welcome to episode 10 of Knife Making Down Under podcast. Uh, we've got the usual crowd with us. We have Corin Urka from Gamaco and Mert Tansu from Tansu Knives and yours truly, Kev from Kev's Forge. Uh, how's everyone going today? Uh, great. <laughs> I wish I could figure out the microphone a little bit sooner. We would have recorded 20 minutes earlier. I was going to say, let's not go there. We've just wasted 21 minutes, mate. But good to have you on board, man. Good to have you on board. Yeah. Good, good to be here, guys. Good to be here. How was? How's, how are you? Uh, no, you didn't say that five minutes ago, mate. You were saying something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it rhymed with that, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, how are you going, Corin? Yeah, I'm. I'm a bit seedy. Um, was sick last week and. We had the hammer in over the weekend and I had an asthma attack on Sunday night. So Monday here I am and I'm just sort of at home chillaxing a bit today and taking it a bit easy because last night wasn't real pleasant. But yeah, there you go. Oh. Well, we were actually a little concerned about you, uh, your health on the weekend, but we strode through with that hammer in and fucking glad that you got through your... Um, Asthma attack, man. That's no good at all. No, no. If there's a, you know, if there's a chance of curing it with whiskey, well, we gave it every chance, didn't we? Yeah, that didn't cure anything. That didn't cure anything at all. <laughs> Especially the next morning. <laughs> my, my head, my head was a little cured, picky. <laughs> the rest of it, no idea. Fun times, fun times. Yeah, we, and that's what I was referring to. Missing you, man. Not, not general sense of things. Uh, but we missed you at the hammering, mate. Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to come, but it wasn't easy. My daughter had her tonsils removed this weekend. My wife was struggling, trying to <laughs> wash the ball kids, and so I had, I had to be home just helping. Well, our listeners aren't aware yeah. about the hammering, so I'll just give them a bit of a, a brief thing. The Knife Art Association meets once a year for our AGM. The Knife Art Association is the association that runs the Sydney Knife Show and the Symposium. And um, this year we met at, at my house at hashtag Bunnings Picton. Um, now we only need to meet for a couple of hours to do our annual general meeting, but rather than everybody coming from all over to, um, to just do that, we decided to have a bit of fun at the same time and have a go at making some canister Damascus. So we had a, a hammer in, in conjunction with the, uh, with the AGM. Well, the AGM was pretty good. And, um, you know, for, I know it's a top secret society and, Nobody will want us to, to let it out there, but we should make note that uh, Kevin Slattery was um, recognised for his, what's the term, unmatched wisdom, and um, his great and unmatched wisdom, Kevin, and became pre president of the association. Uh, unmatched wisdom. When did you guys hold the election? How many how many whiskeys you had to be able to select him for his, <laughs> for his unmatched wisdom? How many bottles you guys were in? Well, it's a, it was actually all right. Well, he was actually elected unopposed. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you guys might call it unmatched wisdoms. I'm probably calling it naive stupidity, um, and uh, that, that's about where I'm at. Look, um, good old mate Keith Flutter has put in a lot of time in that position since the KAA's inception, and uh, you know, he wanted to stand down. He wanted to stand down last year and the nominee for the the president's role um, declined. Uh, so Keith spent the last 12 months back in that role and 
uh, you know, when it came up and I was asked by a couple of people, I thought, you know, why not? Basically, why not? Give it a go. What's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, the whole thing could fall in a pile of shit and I'll get blamed. But it's only, you know, 12 months at this stage to, to be in that role. Uh, so from what I understand, look, it's just another part of the committee that makes the decisions. Um, I don't have any overruling powers or anything, unfortunately. I found that out on the weekend when I was telling people they were my minions and needed to get me extra drinks. And I generally got re responses of fucking get it yourself, you dirty bastard. Being president means shit. And, you know, for a moment I felt like Donald Trump. Mate, his attitude you know? changed that second. Like I was watching the I was watching the meeting <laughs> through the through the Skype or the link. And I saw like he was being president. I just sent him a text saying, Hey man, congrats. And he's like, No, no, no. Refer me as a Mr. President from now on. <laughs> <laughs> my phone, Matt, I honestly, this is true, I think my phone was hacked by the Russians. <laughs> as soon as I became president, I swear that happened. Well, we I can't some... give you guarantees that that was my response. <laughs> we need uh, we need more Russian influence with the uh, with the knife shows. We need to get them coming down, buying knives like they do in Japan and other places. This is true. This is actually very true. Yeah, no, so uh, thanks to everyone that voted me in or didn't oppose me getting voted <laughs> in. Um, that that thank you may change to another saying in a short while, but um, I did experience actually um, the first day after being voted in the president, I experienced um, a little bit of what being the president is about, receiving a call from our secretary, Riley Burns, uh, while I was hung over, who told me that it was only going to be a quick call. And like 45 minutes later, <laughs> I'm sitting there with my head thumping going, oh dear, what have I done? you got to love that. you got to love that, Riley. He's a, he's a doer. But um, yeah, I, I was watching you sitting there on the chair with the phone up against your ear and I could see it in your face, mate. Last night, yeah. the alcohol, the hangover, <laughs> the, res the sense of responsibility. <laughs> I broke it to my wife last night that I was now the president of the Knife Art Association and she gave me one of those looks. <laughs> Can't figure if it was disapproving, approving or somewhere in between. Maybe she likes being like, the first lady. She, <laughs> she's like, so what is that going to involve? And I said, well, mostly just probably, you know, more conversations with Riley. And she goes, oh, great. I'm going to lose you for like six or seven hours a week then when Riley calls. <laughs> But she gets to use Air Force One, doesn't she? Air Force KIA. She can use Air Force One. That's the new nickname. <laughs> Get a bumper sticker made for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it was, no, so that was good. It yeah. was a pretty good weekend. Gonna, we made some, gonna... made some canister Damascus. Yeah, oh, yeah, turn up. Uh, longer than expected, as in the billet stretched out a bit longer, probably. Yeah. Um, we were going for a hammer, uh, a, sorry, a gum leaves with gum nuts type look. And there's a couple of parts of the billet that actually look really nice. And there's a couple of parts that, you know, by the time billets, by the time billets stretch, it only looked like a something longer than nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It was like a fucking big knob with a couple of balls hanging off of it. But, but yeah, basically we built it up out of pieces of uh, nickel sheet, um, powdered uh, 
KFC 4800, the nickel powdered steel, 1084 nickel, uh, 1084 <coughs> steel powder, and 15N20 sheet. And we basically built all the elements up as a group. Um, and in hindsight, we needed, we probably needed a lot more, much smaller elements. Kev. Yeah, I'd say that was the case. It was good, like I said, for the first crack at um, sort, of sort of trying to do a mosaic powdered Damascus. It was good to see, you know, what the outcome was because you're right, we probably should have had stacks more elements in it so that when we stretched it out a little bit too far or just stretched it out in general, I guess, um, that it actually looked like what we were thinking at the beginning. Yeah. Or we probably should have just maintained... Um, try to upset it, make it smaller and done some slices to put in other stuff. But, you know, limited time and a lot of people with their hands <laughs> in the pie. Um, it was still fun. We got the forge fired up. We had sparks flying. We had uh, Sausage Man pretending he was running a marathon with a torch, Olympic torch bearer. Um, you know, power, both power hammers cranking. It was good to see. Lessons were That's learned. That's all that matters. Yeah, lessons were learned. Exactly right. So I got up to the hammer in a little bit late because as I do, I get distracted rather easily. And uh, I went up to my workshop to grab some goggles and earmuffs because I knew we were going to use the hammers and realised my workshop just looked like shit from the day before when I was making a bit of Damascus myself. Um, so the seven o'clock start trip time ended up being about nine o'clock by the time I finished everything. But at least I got to come home to a clean workshop, which was nice. I saw the, the pictures, Colin. It looked clean. Your shop, your shop looked tidy and clean, man. Well, it's easy to oh. do when you don't use it that much. Oh, right. <laughs> well, that was more. I was saying to him, he's got more equipment, and it looks as though he's, you know, added heaps of stuff in there. But it was actually, we could move around with the ease, most ease that I've been in there, which was good. But to be to be fair, I vacuum. I vacuum the shop all the time, and um, yeah. And that, that makes a big difference. That makes a huge difference. And not only that, um, I've had to keep my last shop super clean all the time because it's the only way I could fit everything in there. Like you had to have everything, yeah. you know, put, I mean, it just didn't work otherwise. So I'm kind of used to it. Yeah. And we got, we got to see your flaps too. My flaps. What? <laughs> your, your, your dust room flaps. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Your, okay, your grinding yeah. room flaps, the, my, the refrigerator material. My dust room door, people, which I'm super proud keep, of. I'm really happy with that. Yeah, keep it clean, listeners. I mean, I'm not talking about anything rude. We ground um, um, the one thing. The one thing which I think everyone commented to, to you on is something that we've talked about a lot of times. It probably didn't help your asthma, was now that you've closed that room in, it really holds the dust in there. So, um exhaust of some sort is is probably going to be needed yeah it turns into a real a real dust fest i've got a full um face 3m type uh, mask but having the beard and the hair you're right the real fine stuff probably come through still but um yeah we ground a hell of a lot of material off that billet so there was a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of material got ground off when just trying to get down past the can which the can didn't come off like Keith got the hot tips out of Steve Schwarzer, <laughs> you know, just use old, um, old four ones for 409 or whatever it is, the, the foil you use to wrap blades in. So we got some old foil. We use that to protect the can. Um, we all said liquid paper cause that's the old trick going back forever, but no. Nah. So we went with this foil and well, I don't know what we did wrong, but we fucking welded it good and proper. 
the, hub, the, <laughs> the canister, the foil, and our billet all turned into one solid mass. And uh, we were able to use the air chisel to, to get bits of it off, and we were able to uh, chowder the fuck out of it um, a fair bit with the grinder and things and hammer and chisels. But in the end, we just yeah, in the end, we just ground it off. If if you have a look at um... Oh, the Sausage Man on Instagram. If you go and have a look at Sausage Man Forge or Toby Fire and Steel or even mine, Kev's Forge, um, you'll see plenty of photos from the weekend and some of them involve uh, watching Jamie try and hammer off that can layer and he's just belting the shit out of that steel and it's going nowhere. Um, so, yeah, Keith did a great job of forging mild to stainless to carbon steel. <laughs> work beautiful. If it didn't work, you, you guys would have said if it didn't work, yeah, if you're making stainless semi. Yeah, that's what we were planning. It's pretty much what <laughs> happened because the back of the billet, um, I ground off the outer can and there was still some stainless on there. It looked more like sand mine than what we were planning. But yeah. anyway, it's all good. Yeah, like I said, live and learn. Yep. Um, something will happen with that billet at some stage and, uh, you yeah, know, that'll be one of the next chapters along somewhere in the way. Yeah, another next so, year um, or something. So, Mert, when I was just sort of talking about cleaning up the workshop, um, and there's a, there's a good sense of satisfaction, I guess, when it's clean, which is not often. Um, how's your workshop going? Uh, not not much different, man. I was I was getting happy because I was tidying things, but I made like six handles, and I came up from the shop, and I must have gotten the house to get a drink, and my son three-year-old he's like daddy you're dirty and i'm like what are you talking about i just looked it up i was completely brown like you could see my arms were coca-cola dust my shirt had a gigi dust yeah shop shop is not not much different than it was it's just covered in dust again yeah it's amazing how much like i did two handles um to get an order out last week and my workshop was clean I did two handles of gigi and like i said just there wasn't even a lot of excess material on the blocks and that shit just goes everywhere. Drives out the freaking wall. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully sometime in like within three months or four months, I want to do extension on my shed and I want to yep. make the shed completely dust proof. Right now, my, mine is just a tin shed. It's a color bond and dust and everything comes in. So I want to demolish the existing shed and build a proper one with a bit more soundproofing and also a bit more... Um, there's when it gets hot, it gets like 56 degrees in my shed. There's no, there's nothing, just yeah. a tin collarbone, nothing. Yeah, you got to do yeah. something about it, mate. I've got, um, yeah. I got a product called foil board in mine. It worked out pretty cheap. I don't know if I'd go that route again, but it certainly works pretty good, doesn't it, Kev? I mean, it's not like it's, it doesn't get hot in here, um, and it, like super, super hot, and it retains warmth pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, like I said, those of us that stay the night just crashed up in the mezzanine level there that you're in and uh he was we had the heater on for a little bit and we we're all like sweating our asses off when we we're up talking about those new south wales maps and whatnot and then and as the night went through yeah it, it stayed really warm like it was i was a little bit envious actually again of your setup as i always am um but yeah they're very comfortable but I'm, i've only got it the way i've got it because i've watched everybody else's builds and thought What's the best things about those? And I sort of just ticked the boxes. And when it came, push came to shove and looked at the price tag, I thought, um, fuck, can't afford that. And then 
the more I thought about it, the more I thought I can't really afford not to because not point, no point in having a space you can't use. So what mm-hmm. I did, yeah. I convinced the wife to renovate the house and then I said, where are we going to live while we renovate the house? We need somewhere to live. We'll have to rent. I worked out how much that was going to cost. And then I said, how about we just insulate and put air conditioning in the shed and then make it real nice in there and then um, we can live in the shed. And she was like, oh, yeah, that'll save us heaps of money. So, yeah, I got my shed. <laughs> That's a yeah, perfect well, tactic, man. Well, when I went to build my workshop, um, I was down in my house garage, which was, you know, six by nine metres. I stopped parking my car in there and, and took up <laughs> half the space and then started, you know, as machinery came in, just kept loading it in. And my wife only drives a Mini, so I was talking to her about um, panelling in and sheeting in three quarters of the, the garage so I could use more workshop space. And a very similar sort of approach was she just said, well, why don't you just build a friggin' workshop up the top with as much space as you can fit up there? And I got the same. And the top workshop's only five by seven metres, but um, with that space and having retained a good chunk of the previous workshop area, um, I could sort of get the best of both worlds, actually. You but you're it. right. The, yeah. the other one was an uninsulated double, gar- double brick garage with tiled roof space. And on a cold day, it was just absolutely fucking freezing. And on a stinking hot day, it, those two extremes were just like when working in there was a real task and, you know, <laughs> concentration span limited. Now I've got the my, my 5 by 7s just color bond, but I lined it with like R6 bats and that um, concrete sheeting for the walls, fireproof concrete sheeting. And, you know, the, the roof similar to your stuff is just that shiny whatever it is. Um, so the, the roof's not mega insulated, but you know, it's cooler than it was in summer and, and warmer than it was in winter. So you've definitely got to have a good space to work. That stuff on my roof is 40 mil thick. 40 mil. Mine's not that then. Mine is probably like a three mil thin, no insulation. When it gets summer, I can, I can only work like a half day. I cannot do any Man. machinery. When we were at your joint, Mert, for your hammering, yeah. and it was a couple of weeks ago, and what was it, 28 degrees outside? And yeah, with four of us fucking in there on the uh, forge and a couple grinding, that was a sweat box, man. Right. It's, I'm, I'm going to be done with my forging in a month. Like Before November comes, I'm going to be done completely all the forging. So I need to make as much as, I need to forge as much as I can before it gets hot. Once it gets thirties, forget about it. There's no chance. No. Uh, fair enough. But just to give you an idea, we um I got solar as I got solar as well. So there's another like I don't know how the solar panels are spaced up off the roof. And I've covered the whole top of the shed in solar panels. Um and that's gonna save me a fortune long term. Like I've done the sums on that. That's that's gonna save me tons. That whole like Pretty much the only day this month, we're up to halfway through the month, the only day this month that I had to bring power in, oh, there's been a couple, but not many, there's only, the date was the, the day of the hammering because we used so much power through the um, through the day and it was raining. Yeah, that's it. It was a shitty sort of day. Yeah. So that's the only yeah, day like this month I've had to bring in power. We're also looking to get the Tesla's battery, the battery packs. Too expensive. Yeah. Wouldn't pay for itself. No, nah, so that's what thing, we're looking at as well. The thing is, is if you don't get a good rebate from the grid, then the batteries make sense. But I'm putting in, I'm getting 21 cents from Origin Energy 
feed-in tariff and I'm only paying 29 cents to buy the power. So the difference is only 7 cents. So on a normal day, I'm putting in sort of two-thirds. I'm, I'm only using about two-thirds of what we make through the whole day. So we're in front. Like, we're in front, you know? No yeah. point having so that. So that, that's, that's another tip for you guys out there that, you know, want to get a good workshop built up. Just tell your other half that you're going to build a workshop, put the orientation best way so you get some sun, line the sucker with bloody um, solar panels, and actually it'll pay for itself. Don't tell them how long it'll take. Just tell them it'll pay for itself. Or tell them every quarter they can go and buy a new pair of shoes or a handbag, and you'll be done. You'll have you'll, you'll be laughing. You'll have bloody Taj Mahal of sheds out there. I was I was talking to the marking guy Dalu. And Darwin, if people know him, Darlu on Facebook, the marking guy, I think, on Instagram. He makes all the stamps and punches and stuff. And he's also an electrical engineer. And he was saying that the difference between having just having the salt in the middle of summer, having the solar panels above the roof is 10 degrees. So you're losing, you get, you're saving 10 degrees under the roof where the solar panels are, just without any yeah. insulation or anything, because it's just shading your roof. <clears throat> makes sense. You know, you've got okay. that air gap. So. That's not a bad idea for my new shed extension. Put some solar on top. Yeah, man, go green. Yeah, go get the government. It's fuck green. It's cheap. If you go, <laughs> you make money. Like it's fuck. Yeah, I know. The business the case banks. for it is solid. I can't understand why you wouldn't do it. You know. Well, that's the green. That's that's the green cabinet. Go green. Dollar green. Yeah, yeah that's right. Dollar greens. Get some hunchies coming in. Yeah. Make yeah. it rain. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, that that brings back memories, man. <laughs> Don't forget, guys, that this podcast is brought to you by Gamaco Artisan Supplies. We have our discount code there, our coupon code. When it, you use it whenever you buy, it's down under ten, and it'll get you ten percent off all Dharma Steel products, including the fantastic steel. RWL34. Dharma Steel is the premium Damascus uh, steel made from powder metallurgy technology. It is a very high performer and looks great too. So yeah, if you want the very best Damascus steel that's not going to rust but going to perform like carbon steel, then uh, Dharma Steel is your friend. Uh, and you can get it with 10% off with that discount code. Thank you. So what's, what do you guys got going on in the workshop? Lately, what are you up to, man? What are you working on apart from forging your massive amount of knives before summer? Oh, yes. oh man, it's. I was happy thinking, oh, I'm almost done with my customs list. I'm like, yeah, I'm almost done. And I started making a tally. I have a few still left, and I'm really trying to hard to finish them. But I've been saying the same thing for the last six to eight months, man, maybe like a year. And sometimes there are things that doesn't work, and you have to make them three times, four times. Like one one integral I made, I told the guy I'll make an integral uh, chef's knife with the Damascus cladding. But by the time I I exposed the core of the steel, I had to shorten the blade. Now it's less not less longer than what he wanted, so I have to make another one. I mean, it's yeah, yeah I can finish that. Finish that yeah, one with what you're doing and put it up to sale. Yeah, I, I get it, but now I have to make a knife. I have to make another one. So I have like yeah. a, maybe, I have probably 20 odd blades already heat treated, ground, almost finished. Yeah. 
but they don't meet the specs. They don't, they're not exactly what they were meant to be. And I don't want to keep pumping them. I'd rather keep them for my show prep. Let's say next week you tell me like, hey mate, I'm doing a show. Can you come in? I have stuff that I can start working. So I never start from scratch, but you work so much to make something and all of a sudden you realize uh, that's not going to make it. I have to, I have to start over. You're not, you're not tossing them. You can still use them, but they're not what the guy wants. Yeah, frustrating. Yeah, frustrating. Yeah. <coughs> I'm well, working on um, I'm working on some little screws for my die filer, so that's my next project. I went up and uh, stole some material from a friend of mine to uh, to make them out of. So <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah, and that die filer looks good too. Like it's clean. Yeah, I'm very See, seeing it in person. Yeah, yeah, you've done a good job, man. I got to. Uh, I'm just going to um, plodding away. It's still a project. Yeah, that's no, good. I mean, you don't make knives, so you might as well work on your machinery. <laughs> no, he's working. He's working parts of the machinery to make knives, like working True. on tools to make tools. Uh, I've been doing that yeah. for fucking twenty years. I've just, you yeah, know, I've always been doing that, and I, I like it. You know, I'm quite. I'm. I probably represent the hobbyist makers out there, that, of which there's heaps, who just, it's it's making knives is one thing, but it's the time in your shed. It's that. Sitting in your shed, yeah. doing something, not thinking about work, not thinking about stress, not thinking about the fight you had with your wife or anything like that. You're just thinking about something totally different that you're yeah. interested your in. in a, your head's in a good space, which is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm slowly catching up on things. I'm almost back on par um, with like the pre-injury shit. I haven't taken any extra stuff on, uh, although I've got a couple of inquiries lately where I probably... Uh, we'll put it out there now, but um, almost caught up on what I need to do, starting to think about what I want to do. So that old rule of do what has to be done before you do what you want to do. Um, so I'm almost at that stage as well. Just clearing out the custom stuff or, or you know, getting it to a more manageable level. And then I'm going to start working on my liner lock again because uh, they were similar to what you were saying, Corin, about doing your machinery. The liner locks are... Uh, fiddly fucking annoying pain in the ass fucking things but completely different to what i normally do and i find you know i spend about two or three hours just fixated on these things and um not really thinking about anything else which is pretty good so i got a few of them in the drawer part part ways done uh that i want to finish up you've got a few, a few uh, barrel knives in the drawer part ways done too i got, well, <laughs> I got well two <laughs> when i started uh, 18 months ago, and one I started, however many months ago we did. <laughs> you did two, didn't you, at my yeah. place? Didn't you? <laughs> that's even, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. I've got to open the drawer every... No, I shouldn't actually open that drawer every now and then because I just get upset. Uh, no, yeah, so did, you, did you book what? a table for Blade? No. You're not doing no, this year? Uh... I'm going to Blade, but I'm not sure I'll have a table at Blade. Okay. There's, yeah, other things going on with Blade Show at the moment that I've got to look at. Okay. Uh, well, now he's the, no, now the top secret president. It's yeah. Responsibilities. Let's not talk about anything like that. <laughs> what happens in Fight Club? I mean, Knife Club stays in Knife Club. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to be going over, but I'm not sure I'll take uh, a table full of knives to sell. I'll be taking some knives over. Um, and see how things go. Uh, that's that's pretty exciting though, because 
uh, as people have probably t gathered from the last few podcasts, if they've listened to us at all, um, I did. I went to the US. I injured my arm in an accident. Came back just when that was getting back in order. I ground off a big chunk of my fucking thumb that needed surgery, uh, which put me out of the workshop again. And when you're in a business where you um, purpose purposefully don't earn a lot of money because you, my view is earn as much as I need to earn and work as hard as I need to work. Um, that, that actually put me financially in the back burner quite, quite bad. Um, but I'm catching back up and now, now the goal is, um, chuck a few bucks aside and get my ass over to blade show in America and have fun again. Mate. Um, and hopefully stay in one piece. Race is a good question. Do you have income protection insurance? No, because one of the reasons by the income insurance stuff, which I don't have it, um, is that when I looked into income protection insurance as a knife maker, um, it, in the business sense that I have as a sole trader um, and the, I guess, uh, not regular income coming in as such, it was, it just far outweighed me having it like the, the cost of having the insurance far outweighed what I was earning to make it worthwhile. Um, and, you know, not to say don't get it, but the other lucky thing is I'm a full-time knife maker and behind every full-time knife maker is a spouse with a full-time job. So I'm lucky in that regard. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky in that regard that I've always got backup. If shit hits the fan like it did, um, I'm not in a place where I'm going to end up on the streets um, but yeah, the pros and cons of the income protection insurance was something I really had to look at and I decided not to go with it based on that scenario I just said. Um, but I've had other friends that have been injured that are, you know, tradespeople with regular income and all the rest. And they've apparently just had absolute shit fights with their insurance companies to try and get some money out of them. You know, they're all happy on their ads to say, we'll pay you 70% of your income for the month. Um, but I tell you what, they don't fucking do it without a fight. Um, so, yeah, that's just something that, you know, as an individual, you've got to go and look at what you're doing. In my situation, um, I'm probably fortunate enough that I, I don't have to get that income protection um, based on my business model, which is, like I said, work, work, as hard as, work as hard as I need to, hard, uh, need to, to pay for the things that I want to get and want to do. Mm. Yeah. So, interesting thing. Everyone should go and have a look. And when you do go around and have a look, research the shit out of it. Because um, in the experience that I had, um, some of the figures came back, you know, sort of reasonable. And other ones, I, I, nearly, ch I nearly choked uh, on how much they wanted for, you know, that small amount that I do earn. You boys keep going. I've got to go and get my Ventolin. I'll be back in a minute. Right, yeah, don't look die. Well, one of the reasons, Kev, like I was saying, I always have hand-sanded finished blades is like if if I hurt myself, God forbid, or if, I, if, I'm, if I'm sick, it'll be easier for me to have a blade that I can just make a handle and put, a, put it onto it versus having to start from scratch. Those are kind of like insurance. I mean, yeah, they're not obviously, they're not obviously income, but at least like if I have a stuff that is, 99% done with having some handle having some handles floating in the shop that I can that I can put them relatively easier together 
just shut yeah. shut your microphone, Corn. It sounds like he's coughing his lungs out. <laughs> he's just fucking dying in the background. <laughs> um, no, but on that moment, I actually um, when I went before I went to Blade Show because I left early June um, on my trip to America and wasn't coming back till mid July this year. I actually did that. I had a whole heap of blades, you know, pretty much hand sanded to their finished level and guards and everything sorted out. And realistically, all I had to come home and do was exactly what you were saying is fix a bunch of handles together and, and go. And that's the only reason why I actually made it to Sydney show was um, I had, you know, 10 knives in the drawer that just needed handles um, because you know, what I did over in the US was uh, in the accident was I tore a tendon on my elbow, which affected, um, you know, movement of the right arm, the dominant arm. So um, I was under under sort of doctor's orders just to, you know, not go crazy with shit. So um, I found that I was able to do, you know, about two hours of hand sanding and then I was knackered. But shaping handles, which is something I do primarily on the machines, I could do a full day of handle shaping without too much problem at all. So if you're looking at doing knife making um, and trying to get a, you know, a, an income out of it, you've got to look at a, a number of factors, I reckon. If you're looking at becoming sort of a, you know, uh, for want of a better term, like a fixed, fixed model production style unit, get your research out there, get a model that works and make them and, and stick with that. Get some vendors that will want to buy your goods. Uh, if you're going to do it as a production, uh, sorry, as a, custom maker, you've probably got a bit more risk involved like me and I where you're not making specific products and we're trying to just get customers coming in on a regular basis. So yeah, I, hey, think, I, think, back. I think custom is like a really hard model. A lot of people, including myself, you, when you get a knife making scene and somebody's hitting you up like, hey, I got a custom order, great. And then you start making custom, but it's, it's hard to deal with it. Customs are hard. To keep up with the yeah. customs and the, the management. The admin side of custom is the one that takes long. It's not the it's not the knife itself. Yeah. I was just listening to Knife Talk podcast and Admir um Neil Macamura what's his name? Neil Macamura or whatever. Neil from yeah, RPM, RPM Neil RPM Neil Instagram. Yeah. They had RPM Neil on and um basically all of those guys now are going into the semi small scale production stuff just to make money because, because that's yep. what you got to do. Well, that's the reason I started my hunting Valley blaze because some of my customs, like I send the custom, I send the email and I'm looking at it. It's 130 emails. Yeah. Fuck. Not, not if I spend five minutes on each and that's a lot of admin time. Like, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I don't have that time. I would love to, but I don't have the time. One man operation. You need a secretary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awkward silence here, yeah, man. What's just going on with that? Hey? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I need the secretary. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the admin side, like I said, you know, the making of shit doesn't take that much. It's the the emails, the phone calls, the Facebook's the whole lot of stuff that comes through, um, you know, not 24-7, but it might as well be freaking 24-7 um, is one of those things that you've just got to go with. 
Um, and if you want to maintain your sanity, you've actually got to set some boundaries yourself about, you know, how long you spend on them and how many, I guess, how many emails you do do for a customer or with a customer before you say, yeah, look, too much time, see you later. Um, oh, speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, so this is my, I want to tell about the, my first custom knife experience as a, like, as a custom maker. Okay. So 99% of my clients are lovely people. Most of them are savvy. Most of the time they know what they want, or some of them, they clearly say they're open for suggestions, but once, okay. Once I, I took a custom order from a gentleman, I don't want to sound like I'm too much bitchy, but I, I would like to share the story. And he added me on a Facebook, like we're talking, but it came to a point like I'm posting I'm posting pictures of my, with me and my friends or with my family. Like I'm, I'm at the park with my kids at the swing. Like, Oh, I thought you were working today. I thought you're going to forge. No, Mike, no, not today. It came to a point after, after 200 emails and countless conversations, I refunded everything to the guy. I said, look, man, I talked to my wife less before I decided to marry her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for the amount of time you reach me for this knife and for the amount of times you want to change these things, your refund, this is all the money you paid. This is more than I'm paying you more than what you paid me. So don't ever contact me block. And man, I wasn't the only, so as a disclaimer, I wasn't the only maker who refused to work with that guy, but man, it can it sometimes it comes to a point, as you said, you have sometimes you have to set boundaries, say, man, hey man, this sorry, can't can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love I love the people that just come through and say, I want a um I want a large chef knife. Can you make me one? And you're like, Yeah, right, how big do you want it? And they go, Oh, I don't know. I'll leave that to you. And you go, Well, what, what, How large? Handle, large. How, what handle do you want on it? And they go, oh, I like all the stuff you do. So oh, I don't know. You choose the handle. And so you can't make like a 250 long Santoku style or whatever, or nice big chef knife with a bit of Gigi on the end of it and show them the photo and they just come back absolutely stoked. And all right, here, I'll throw some money at you. I love those customers. Because you just go, all right, it's actually something I want to make. And that's where I've been... I, I'm less prescribed than you, Matt. I've, I've purposefully not um, tried to go down that route or attract those customers where they want that millimetre perfection finish on their blades because that's when, it, to me, that's when it becomes work. And I'm like, you know what, I still want to have that. I still want to have that fun in what I do. And um, I've had a couple of customers recently that literally did that. They say, I want a, a large chef and a paring knife. And the other guy's like, I want a, I want a cleaver that's capable of doing a bit of chicken and fish bones, and I'll leave it up to you. I like what you make, and you know, there's a, there's a bit of nervousness in that. I'll show the pictures to the people, and they're just like mind blowing, going, "Fuck, that's just unreal. That's more than I expected." You know, it gives that's, you that's, so much. That's sorry, that gives you so much confidence in your work and creativity. Like back then when I was cooking, we used to get tables, and we had, we had chefs tasting many. And yeah. I always loved cooking or sometimes people will say they see the four course chef tasting menu and they say, Hey, can you give me a six course chef tasting menu? I love getting those tables because they're saying, I trust your judgment as the person, as the craftsman. Okay. This is what I'm after. I, I have time for the whole doing like a long lunch or I have a time for a long dinner. 
Allah grant me it, Allah this, feed me. Bring me what you think is your best. I love those things, you know, like, then you yeah. feel more involved in the project. And then you go out to the tables and you talk, you talk about the dishes, making knives and somebody is saying, make me a knife that you think is going to be best in the busy kitchen. That's that's one of the things like I love I love getting requests like that because then you feel like you have more you have more involvement in it versus just creating a recipe like make me something that's 200 million yes 200 click the box but you didn't feel as much yeah so it's, yeah, it's a good good thing yeah remember remember once uh, table I was talking to them and they said uh. <laughs> Back then we had wagyu in our we had the wagyu in our menu. So and the guy said, please make it the way you like it. And I'm like, okay. I cooked it medium rare and I went to the table and I brought the steak up. I said, I cooked the way that you guys said that I will enjoy. So I cooked it well done for you guys and you had to see their face. <laughs> the guy in the thing. <laughs> I'm like, nah, I just messed with you. <laughs> medium rare. <laughs> yeah, it's blue. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good Today, we have the youngest member of the Gamaco Artisan Supplies team, Lucas. Lucas, how old are you? Seven. So you're seven years old. And what do you do at Gamaco Artisan Supplies? Well, what do you do? Don't ask me. You don't know your own job. <laughs> what? Okay, cut to the chase. What do you want to be when you grow up, Lucas? Knife maker. You want to be a knife maker. And what's the best way to get into knife making? Yeah, that's our Gamaco supplies. Gamaco artisan supplies. This, this kid's good. And if you want a discount on knife making kits, beginner knife making kits at Gamaco artisan supplies, we're going to use a discount code down under 10. So if you want to be a budding knife, you're a budding knife maker like Lucas here, um, by all means, jump on, uh, have a look at our knife making kits, use the code down under 10 and it should take 10% off for you to purchase uh, the best materials and gear in the industry. So, there you go. Thank you. I had some questions. Uh, did you guys get any questions over the website or anybody reaching out to you? Any questions? Uh, no, yeah, well, I didn't have so many questions, but I did... I'll be getting more feedback, which is really cool. Um, just about uh, people in general liking the podcast. They like how it's going. Um, they like the content. So, um, you know, I wrote back, one guy's going, you guys must be fucking stoked. Oh, God. I wrote back, uh, no, man, I still shit myself every time I fucking jump onto this microphone hookup because it's like, fuck, you know, how are we going? So when we do get a little bit of feedback from people um, in relation to what we're doing, they say they're enjoying it. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, because it you know, gives us a little boost of confidence that you know we're making some people happy out there at least. Yeah. Uh, questions though, questions though, not not really. If you if you're enjoying the podcast and you're listening to this, we'd also appreciate it if you make sure you like and subscribe and do all that sort of shit to our posts, so that uh, the algorithms on the various media that we're on um, pick it up and and. Uh, and, and, you know, spread it a bit wider. Just just helps us get the word out. Uh, leave a review, uh, positive or negative. I mean, we, we, we don't mind. Uh, we prefer positive. Uh, yeah. But if you want to leave a negative yeah. review and you can't figure out how to just change stations, well, you just fucking go right ahead. Yeah.
Well, we'll probably give you, and we'll, we'll probably give you a bit of a shit stir um, <coughs> if for a negative review. I'm not going to say I'm not. We're the least professional fucking podcast in the world. I'll get on there and tell you you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's not inviting people to fucking put negative reviews just to have me call you an asshole. Um, you know, we can call you an asshole please. without a negative review. Just leave a positive review. Yeah. Tell us you want us to call you an asshole. We're in. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, everyone ready so. for it? This, this is especially for you listening today. You're an asshole. <laughs> well, guys, some, somebody, someone, somebody commented on Facebook saying, "I love you guys' podcast," because also there's no unneeded like, there's not excess cursing or swearing. So I think we lost that person. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we're not forcing it. We, 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 we're like Aussies, mate. We, we swear uh, to. Uh, accentuate things. We're not just swearing for the sake of swearing, uh, which is a good thing. I had them say that, that I had read one review about uh, they're really happy because we're not using too many, um, you know, added sound effects except for one of the podcasts where Corrin apparently farted a few times and uh, offended a couple of people. No, that's what I told him. I said, if only it was a sound effect. <laughs> You're lucky you weren't in the room with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> beans, beans, good for the heart. The more you eat, the more you fart. The more yeah, you fart. a little, a little extra shout out to Sausage Man for fucking nearly killing me on the weekend at your place. Oh, he was um, fucking. We... I don't know what. Like he had twenty corns <laughs> yeah. up his ass. I don't know, mate, but he's come over. He said something. I don't. He's he's waved at me and said something, and I've turned to him going like, I'm thinking, what do you fucking say? And he's then it's dawned on me that he said cupcake, and it. it Shared a cupcake with me, and I was fucking nearly chutting my guts up. Someone was standing was the next to him at one point, and they turn around with this fucking this face of just disgust. And they look at him, was that you? And he's just smiled ear to ear. Yep, it's fucking good on you, yeah. dirty cunt. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sausage yeah. man. Hey, so. Uh, any did it, did you get any questions about about like tips, tricks, all the rest of it? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, I have two of them. Uh, I have a question from M.B. Bladesmith. He has two questions. First question was like, gents, I have a couple questions that you might be useful for your show. Logo. When designing a logo, how do you go about checking to see if your logo is different enough from all the others out there? Yeah. And when you have one, do you need there be anything to protect it? So I have not checked anything other people doing. I just... The, the way I came up with my logo was my last name is Tansu and I'm making nice, Tansu nice, and I had to, I put the T and K together and that was the thing. I don't know if anybody had it before or I don't think it's a hard combination to do like T and K. Yeah. How was, how was your story, Kev? What would you do with it? Uh, well, at the time that I was working at Biomaker's Mark, I drew down, um, I just, I had like, a drawing pad with pages and pages and pages of clever shit that I did. Um, and then when I jumped onto the computer and I was like, how's this going to look on a knife or how complex does this thing look? Um, I threw like 99% of those ideas in the bin and I approached a friend of mine that was into graphic design. Uh, this is prior to Andrew Smith coming into the picture. Um, but I went and approached a mate of mine and I said, I want to have a logo that sort of looks a little bit industrial. I just want to have a K in there somewhere. And we did a couple of things and they looked pretty shit. And then 
I'd seen like the top of um, uh, like the top of the power hammers where you've got the top bolted on, and I was like, "Fuck, I want something like that." And so he literally just did two circles with the K in the middle, and then did some stuff that represent like uh, you know bolts being put on there. And it took the guy about I don't know a minute and a half on Photoshop because he's pretty good at what he does. And he's like, "Oh, what do you reckon of that?" And I was like, "Yeah, done, sold." So. The other thing which I considered with my stamp uh, or my design was I wanted to stamp it on. And I thought, how big or how small can this be? Because I can tell you from experience of people getting stamps made or using stamps, um, the smaller you can get it, the better. Um, and you want to have it be recognizable to to you. Like I said, you don't want to have some, I don't know, anything too weird, I guess. Um, one, of the, one of the things when we're talking about logos and stuff, uh, a lot of the guys in the States, especially when you talk to the mastersmiths and stuff, say, make make your name your logo. Because when people, there's been a few posts on the Knife Makers whiteboard on Facebook. Does anyone recognize this maker's mark? And that's when you sort of go, shit, maybe they're right. Because it's pretty hard to, um, you know, mistake Mertansu if it's etched on a blade, um, you know, as opposed to, the TK, which I thought was like a flying um, butterfly or something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a point because sometimes I look at Instagram like, when did I make that knife? Oh, that's not me. Someone else. <laughs> TK. <Yeah. laughs> the guy maybe like a Tom something, like who knows, but yeah, TK is not that original. How about your core? Do you have, do you have a logo core? Oh, look, I just went with the Niroc knives thing that I've had for years, and <clears throat> I haven't put that on a knife since I started making barrel knives. So to be fair, I haven't used it in seven years. Since I started making barrel knives, I send my barrel knives and get them hand engraved with my name and the day I, the date it was made, and um, yeah. or the year it was made because there's one a year, uh, and uh, the serial number. And I get that done by a young lady down in Melbourne, Danae Creswell, and. Um, I just think it matches the matches what I do, but it's my name, so you can't, you know, as you said, just use my name. It's, it's just I think it's just better. Yeah. But if you do come up with a cool snappy logo and you really love it, uh, there are avenues you can go to legally to protect it, copyright it, and um, trademark it, and all that sort of thing. Whether you go to all that expense, if it's just a hobby, uh, I would suggest not. I don't think it's hardly worth the worth the effort. If someone copies it, just change it, move on. But you know, if it's your business, a different story. Yeah, if someone copies it, name and shame the bastards. Oh yeah, on social yeah. media, of course. Yeah. yeah. The second question he asked was also about the forging Damascus. He's asking that I know that you guys have power hammers, etc. Is there a neighbor-friendly way to make Damascus and then forging the knives? I live in the suburbs and think a power hammer wouldn't be neighbor-friendly. Okay. I'm also worried about noisy. Press will be, <laughs> and no, I don't fancy doing by hand. So well, Kev, Kev and I, I don't know about you, Mert, I've never been to your place, but Kev and I both live in the suburbs and both of us have yeah, power hammers. Yeah, in the suburbs. I live in the suburbs. suburbs with a power hammer. So yeah. we all live in the power, we all live in the suburbs with power hammers. So what's your tips and tricks, Mert? What do you do to keep the sound down? Well, I, for, I don't forge every day. If I'm forging, it's always noon and later. Because I have, I know there's some tradies living nearby and some of the guys living in the mines. If they do a night shift, I don't want to start at 8 o'clock if they come up from the shift at, let's say, 5 o'clock. So I always yeah. forge 
noon to one or noon till two. And that's it. Like there are very few occasions that I had the power hammer running for more than a couple hours. I, I, get, I get tired. I get hot. I get fucking tired. I don't want to be forging all day. And it's limited. Yeah. Well, so, mind look, for a neighbor friendly, just off, off topic slightly, because, well, not off topic, but another tangent to this. Um, if you want to do your own Damascus in a friendly way that's reasonably economical to yourself, go and buy a big fucking fly press. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true story. Go buy a big fly press, make some dies up for it, some drawing out dies, flattening dies, uh, dies to put in different fucking patterns on them uh, and use that. Adam Fromholtz, uh, Fromholtz Knives is a classic with that. He started years ago doing Damascus and he was just using a fly press. Um, you know, and it's a physical thing. You got to thump the thing, but get a big, get a big fly press. That thing doesn't make any noise. No, and it's like, hard a, enough a to, very light hard to Oh shit, yeah. If you get a big enough one, um, it's going to do a good job. Uh, I'm similar to Mert though. When I do, I've got a um, squirrel press, the 16 ton squirrel press, a couple of drawing out dies on that. So when I'm doing my Damascus, I've got the 15 kilo Anyang, which now has my cutler's die. I'm too lazy to change the die over. So I do 95% of my drawing out of my Damascus billets now on the press. If you can afford a hydraulic press, um, that's also a quieter option. Not silent because those motors on those things fucking scream at you, but it's much more friendly. If I use my hammer, I'm similar to Mert. Um, my neighbors over the back fence, um, they look after their grandkids during the day. Um, so I don't know when the poor little things are having a nap or not, but I'll run my power hammer. Generally, same thing as me, a couple hours at a time, yep. generally between like 10 and 3. And then it, and that's it. The power hammer's off after that. So, and it's the way. First of all, remember the first of all, don't be a dick. That's the rule. Yeah. yeah. And if I did, don't be a dick. That's it. If I did four hours of forging on my power hammer, I'd probably have enough work to keep me quiet for uh, like just on the grinders for probably six months. But most thing I use my cutlass dies for now, obviously, is drawing out bigger bevels on thicker stock um, or tangs and that sort of stuff. So, the power come power hammer comes on, and my neighbours are probably like, "Oh, it's all right. He'll be done in fifteen minutes," because that's about the time that I use it. Yeah, I I started with the fly press, and um, with the fly press, I can only agree with that. I the one I, I started on was the little two ton one. You probably saw it down in the bench under the yeah. mezzanine. It's only a little one. Yep. And because it's only a little one, it doesn't hit real hard. So, but all I did was make dies that were pretty small. So my the dies were like twenty five yeah. mil diameter, and with that you could hit really hard because your point loading's a lot harder. So you could hit really hard and then just move across the billet real quick. Bang, 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 bang. And it, that worked really well. Yeah, <coughs> absolutely. So that's probably that's probably the answer for his question. How do you make Damascus? Fly press, yeah. Uh, without, fly, fly press would be the first point of call. Uh, see it heaps on greys online and all those auction sites and stuff. Um, and for the most part, when you get them, they're pretty affordable. Things I guess you got to. What would you say you got to look at, Corin, when you're looking at a uh, fly press in terms of is it, you know, in good condition? Mate, yeah. Look, I've restored a few of them. I, I really, there's not really a lot on a fly press. Um, if it's structurally sound, even if it's got a bit of slop or play, it's going to be a problem for precision punching. But it's not going to be a problem for a blacksmith doing blacksmith stuff. Like you'll probably get it cheaper. You know. So. Yeah. Just make sure it's structurally structurally sound and the threads are reasonably good. 
Yeah, and you're going to need, um, from my experience, you're going to need a big bench and your chances are it's going to have to be a big, heavy freaking bench or you're going to have to bolt it to the ground because the torque on those things when they do thump um, can, you know, send your table spinning around literally. And you lose a lot of energy if you don't have them bolted down solid. You lose a lot of yeah. energy. So that just for I've got I've got one of those tiny ones like yours just for stamping my maker's mark, and I had to die to bolt that to the floor of the garage because the thing was fucking jumping all over the place. Yeah, well I got a I got a big one that one on the that bench. If you get it, um, you get a bit of a rhythm going. The whole bench shakes like shit. But the other one I've got out in the main workshop in the blacksmith shop, um, that one's on a stand that sort of the legs splay out sort of, and it's really heavy. I've just welded heaps of steel into it, and that one's pretty solid. We had a six-ton press on it before, and now I've got a four-ton press on it. Yeah, nice. I had one more question, guys. Um, this is a so this one is from trying to get his name. He hasn't said the name. He or she, Mountain UI. So I'm not going to read the entire question, but it's the same topic that I've been getting lately. It's this guy's a chef and wants to start making knives because not happy being a shepherd for the mental stress and all that. And uh, he's asking me, he or she's asking me, how, how is it possible to start making knives as a living? So how do you do the transition? Well, well that's pretty easy. First of all, you've got to figure out how to make your knives. Then you've got to find yeah. a customer base. <coughs> how are you going to market and promote? And then you've got to do it. Yep. The hardest step yeah. in that is is learning how to make good knives. If you can learn how to make good knives, then social media can, can help with the rest. You guys have done it, so I'm going to take, hand it over to you. But but first of all, if you can't or you don't know about making knives, the first thing to do, in my opinion, is to do a course. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mert, Absolutely. You, you... This, this day and age, obviously, you've got to just be buyer beware on courses as well. Um, there's a lot of guys running courses in different formats, so you've got to choose um, the format for the outcome that you want. Yeah, yeah, and that's very valid because, you know, you, you, you walk into it, are you one-on-one? -on -one? Are you four people on two instructors? Are you, what is it, what's going on? There's so many options for courses yeah. now. Yeah, are you forging, are you stock removal, blah, 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 blah. So yeah. there's stacks of stuff to look at. Um, do your research so you get the best value for the money because you got to invest a bit of money in it. You know, yeah, look, I, I think the hardest part for somebody who is trying to change a career, like let's say from working in an office or working in the kitchen to something else like a knife making, is the biggest and hardest step, I think, is the first one because you are comfortable in your own setup. You've been doing this job for like let's say five years, ten years, and and when when I said I want to I want to start making knives, when I went to Keith Flutter's shop, like everything was overwhelming. All the machinery, all the tools, I didn't know how to use any of them. I had no idea how to buy them, where to buy them from. And the first step is always a little bit frustrating because at, back then when I wanted to make knives, you had to buy everything. You had to buy an anvil, you had to buy hammers, you had to buy tongs. It's a there's a quite a bit of investment in making knives. I mean, yes, you can still make knives with the limited budget, but like having on a few, you can make a stock removal, off-site heat treatment, but the first step is, I think, always frustrating and overwhelming because there's so much stuff that you have to buy and there's so much stuff to learn. And this is just yeah. for making the knives. 
We're not even talking about being able to promote it and market it. Yeah, but you, you know, until you can make a knife, you wouldn't be leaving your day job. That's no. At the end of the day, until you got your processes down pat, don't leave your day job. Your day job funds no. the learning, the learning process. So. Yeah, my advice would be stay part time. No, my my advice will be just start making for fun. Start yeah, making. Yeah, make them for fun. Make them for a couple of years at least. Uh, until you get your processes down, one of the one of the you know it's a kind of a nasty thing to say, but the other thing when you first start making knives, the first hump you get got to got to get over in terms of selling your knives is all your friends that tell you that you're the most awesome person in the world and buy a knife off you. You got to get them out of the way first before you get a reality check, because yeah. you go shit, I've sold 25 knives, <laughs> they've all been to my friends, I've not sold a single knife to someone I don't know. Um, and, you know, the harsh reality is, uh, although we've got knife makers going out to these rare trades events, it's not a rare trade anymore. It's a very competitive environment. It's an ultra competitive environment. And as you were saying just before, Corin, social media, like entities like Neil, RPM Neil and all those other guys are learning that you've got to almost have a fucking stock run of knives to try and make, you know, a... a sort of reasonable living out of this stuff so once you even get through that stage invest in all your machinery while you've got a job that's what i did um you know so don't buy don't buy shit don't go out on a 200 night on the piss save that for your grinder um you know build up all your machinery while you've got someone else paying your wages then do a part then continue making knives and if you want to make that jump like i'd say first of all um Go part time in your job and keep some security there because it's still going to pay for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as you guys found out recently, and as I've said recently, is I took on a part time job uh, because financially um, a couple of injuries uh, really started to drain the drain the bank balance where it was getting scary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to go and get a job for a couple of days a week so I've got you know enough money there to pay for some bills and till I get back on my feet with the knife making stuff. Yeah, like Bert was saying, it's a really freaking scary thing to do. Like when you, um, when you decide you're going to leave a job uh, that you know has security, has good pay, uh, might give you the shits occasionally, or might give you the shits all the time. It's still a job that's paying your bills. Um, it's a really scary thing when you leave that job and the paycheck stops. The money's not in the bank on that fortnightly payday, and you're like, fuck, now I've got to fend for myself, and it's time-consuming. It's one of those crafts, like, let's say, let's say you're a banker or you, you're working somewhere and all of a sudden you say, you know what, I want to be ambulance driver or I want to take a course to do something. Okay. So you go do the course for a month or two, or then you go to TAFE or be an apprentice, you start getting wages and it's so different than knife making. If you say today, I want to start making knives, by the time you gather all the tools and start practicing how to make a knife, you at least one year and maybe like a, $30,000 in with the, just with the investment costs. And this is without you making any money off the knives, without selling any knives. I was in a lucky position that by the time I decided to be a full-time maker, I was already making knives for five years back, five years, and I had a good client base. I had a good reputation. I had a good customs list. So I didn't just say, hey, I'm chefing and uh, I have a dream. I want to make knives. No, it wasn't the case. It was to a point that I realized I can I can make it as a full-time make, maker 
Yeah, it's, it's a scary yeah. step, man. And now, as you guys said, there's so many makers coming in and many makers, many people, there's so many, there's so much competition. That's the bottom point. Yeah. And I haven't heard anybody complaining, though, that like sales are down. I think sales are at an all time sort of a high. I know there's a lot of competition, but the interest in custom knives is also up as well. So that's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I don't know about that. Uh, look, competition. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bothered by the amount of competition. If you ask no. the many makers, everybody will say the same thing. My books are closed. Why? Because I'm full. And let's say there's a million nice demand per year, and there's let's say thousand or two thousand makers. We still cannot make up for the entire million demand. We cannot meet that demand. No. no. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. My again, the advice is start making them and see if you like it. See if you really like it because. Um, you know, nothing worse than if you sort of went, oh, I'm going to do this, and six months into it, you go, fuck, you know what, I really don't like this. Do a couple of courses or a course. And, yeah, um, oh, if you, if you can afford it, do do courses with, like, multiple people, I reckon. Yeah, I, yeah. I still do. I still go and do courses with other people, and it's, it's great to keep learning. You can't not do that. Oh. And there's a business investment. It's the same thing, you know, you, if you're in a job... I was in the public sector. I was a manager of a team. And what was one of the biggest complaints I got from my staff? We don't get training because there's no money to spend on training. So if you're not educating yourself in some way as a maker, uh, as your business, as your business owner and operator, then you're going to get left behind. And it's not necessarily to say, go do a Mosaic Damascus course and then crank out some Mosaic Damascus. It's like, go do, go do that so you've got something there just to keep that spark going. So, no, fair call. Heaps so the last, learn, the last and, and final thing you have to do is get a partner with a real job. Yeah, yeah. and a coffee, and give her a coffee mug. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've got some more printers. <laughs> you more need printers. to. <laughs> oh, my, my wife fucking, my yeah. wife protects that coffee mug, mate. You wouldn't want to use that. You get a punch in the face. <laughs> so, <clears throat> we've got to um, probably have a word for our sponsors, Gamaco Artisan Supplies. Um. Yeah, they'll probably we'll, we'll cut some ads in or whatever, whatever. They are. Who gives a shit, right? Anyway, but they do help us out. <laughs> so it's not it's um, not knife talk ten. That's another one. It's down under ten. <laughs> <laughs> down under ten. And it doesn't apply to all. It applies on certain products. Yeah, it yes. applies to. Uh, I just I literally just answered a question before uh, through our Facebook page. Someone had put an order in. And they sent me a message, which I was actually inclined to answer. They go listen to the podcast for the for the code word. But I gave them the code word, and they're like, "Oh, it must just be for certain things." Uh, yeah, it is. It's not a gen. It's not a general. So they don't listen discount. to the podcast, and you gave them the fucking code. Like seriously? Oh, you know. Tell I them, told them. Send them a link. Tell them I, to fucking listen. Anybody that's getting the codes now, they're an hour and five minute in, right? Hour and five minutes yeah. in. And here we are giving out the codes. And I had a a screenshot from Tim Tim Kingsford, from Kingsford Nice, and he showed me that he used the code and he saved 50 bucks on his order. That's like a carton of beer, okay? Be like his best mate. Cheap beer. No. Cheap beer. So, fuck. (laughs) You can't all afford that shit you drink. You know that stuff that I left at your place, Murph? That's like 70 bucks. I've got to spend more money at Gamaco 
so I get a bigger discount to pay for my beer. That's well, the that's, way of looking that, at it. That, that's above my pay grade, okay? My point was, we saved him a carton of beer. I think we're his, like, best mates. I think we should, next time we see him in his nice show, he should buy us a carton of beer. Well, he listened. He deserved well, that 50 bucks. So that's yeah, not place belts. Beginner knife-making kits. I bet Tim Kingsford was buying beginner knife-making kits. He started sometime about the same time as me, I think. And, um, <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Dharma Steel and some other uh, some other stuff as well, whatever. Off, hey, yeah, you know, that that Dharma Steel one, man, obviously people cotton on to that because I jumped onto the Gamico website because I, I want to make, like you, the barrel knives and stuff. I thought, fuck, I should buy a couple of those little off cuts, do a couple of liner locks with some Dharma Steel. And I'm pretty sure all of your fucking uh, Dharma Steel off-cut bars are gone. Yeah, they are. Well, we just have to buy more of the regular bars so we end up with more offcuts. I'm too cheap for that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so down under, down under, down under, yeah, I am. Down under 10 is the is the code that you want to use. It's only for certain items. Get on board. Um, have a laugh at the ads that Corin chucks in. I've had some feedback about your uh, your ads, Corin, and I just said, yeah, no, well, we, we've claimed several times that we're pretty fucking unprofessional, so... Well, what do you what want do you me expect? to? I got to hire an advertising person and a marketing person, and then it costs more money, and then I just have to put my price up twenty percent. Like at the end of the day, either you like it and you buy stuff from us, or just find somebody flashier and buy stuff from them. I don't give a fuck. Like, I yeah, just... we're not we're not putting we're not putting cheesy sound effects in for a Norton Belt ad. Come on, guys, it's just not going to happen. They're the, they're the best fucking belt you can get anyway. How's that for a plug? Oh, fuck it. Yeah. The best fucking belt you can get anyway. <laughs> That's it. We should put that get, on a billboard. The get best. your grinder on. <laughs> we said no sound effects, Murph, for fuck's sake. sake Murph. Oh. You're making, now you're making us swear. Now we're cheesy. Fuck. Now we're cheesy and swearing. So, all right. Wow. So there's that. Uh, I've got a bulk buy running at the moment for steel. Um, Ooh. 1084 and 15 and 20, which is your two basic um, steels for Damascus. Said if we got fifty people in, we would go down to one hundred and twenty bucks a sheet and one hundred and sixty bucks a sheet for the fifteen and twenty, and um, so you can buy a full sheet of steel, which is four hundred by nine hundred by three point three thick. But you can only do that through the bulk, bulk buy page on Facebook. So if you um, get on it, if you yeah get on it, I've had people complain to me about that. Why do you only make it available for that group and all the rest of it? It's because that's the group that I fucking do bolt buys on. I like doing bolt buys, and I don't want to get kicked yeah. off every other fucking group because I'm doing bolt buys on every group. So that's my group. Yeah. Like, no one can kick me off it. I own it. It's mine, right? So how about we share the link? How about we share the link off that group on the on the podcast page? Well, that'd be some free marketing for me. Do it. Yeah. And when I say me, well, by the way. It's Gamaco, it's not me. I don't have a single yeah. share in Gamaco. I, say, I just want to buy knife making <laughs> shit for me cheaper. So free free advertising. Well you are our well, you are. Gamaco is our uh sponsor, so fucking yeah, yeah. we could do that. So it's kind of we get, we get it's me. We get some funny feed we get some funny feedback about that. Like yeah. oh there's a lot of Gamaco ads on the spot on the podcast. It's like oh they sponsor us. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, you know, whatever. They're paying. We put the a bills. fucking book. Yeah. I'd put a Ford ad on there if they fucking gave us some money. So, what, 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 so why don't you chuck it up, right? Here you are, listener. This is for you. Let's have a discussion about it. We don't care how money comes in. So we could set up 
like what a crowdfunding or something. Hey, you could set it up for us and give us the money. Either way, it doesn't matter. You can set something up for us that'll generate the money that that, that covers bills, basically. Of which there are yeah. there are quite a few. It takes hours and hours to to edit the podcast, and none of us are like I would sort of competent enough to do anything. Anyway, we just whatever. If you've got a better idea, we want to hear it. Yeah, we had. It's funny now we can actually understand Mert. Uh, with his new microphone, uh, but we did have someone write in a few weeks back. I don't know if it was directly to me or not, and they actually said they would they'd start up a crowdsourcing thing to buy us equipment so that we actually sounded better on the podcast. Yeah, but to be like, fair, oh. Gamaco offered to buy Mert a microphone after well, episode yeah. one, and Mert never fucking yeah. got round to doing anything about it. Yeah, and then he can't even get the thing fucking hooked up anyway. Took twenty it took minutes. 21, 21 it took minutes. Fucking, it took me. <laughs> it took me fucking twenty minutes to activate it and get that shit working. Okay. No. Ele- electronics. No. Actually, two weeks and twenty-one minutes. <laughs> yeah. well, there was talking about the crowdfunding. Um, there was a Patreon page. You know, we talked to fucking Mike Cthulhu earlier on in our podcast, and his Patreon page. Yeah, that's a lot to manage, guys. And I don't know if we can give you any more content um, that's worth being part of a Patreon page. That's supposed to be a bonus thing. Uh, so, you know, in all honesty, um, like I said, we're managing all right, I think. Um, suck it up. We'll just get on with it. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, <laughs> that sounds like a show. I think, I think we well balance the ads pretty well. There's not that many compared to... I, I think so. oh, yeah. no, that's exactly right. I think they just saying the ads are shit. Well, they are shit. <laughs> Fuck. Make me some better ones. Fuck it. I'm not gonna oh speak. yeah. Hey, this hey, is sir. about it grinds. It's good. It's best in the market. What do you want? Everybody wants hey, the man. cheapest this and the cheapest that, but they don't. They want me to have all these flashy marketing shit going on. It's just not us. It's not I do that. I reckon yes. that there's a little challenge here for Matt and I. No, to record. Fuck off, man. <laughs> Hear me out for Christ's sake. Um, I reckon there's a little challenge here for you and I, Mert, to do the cheesiest ad for one of the products that we have on our sponsorship. Uh, probably Norton Belts <laughs> or Paragon Kilns. Um, we, we should film an ad and put it up on our Facebook page so that we get our content for our listeners up there. They can see some quality, um, like screen time with us guys on there i just want you to do some arnold schwarzenegger voices i reckon that'll really, <laughs> that has got an unfair advantage on that he already sounds oh. like schwarzenegger <laughs> what is the purpose of your workout oh shit he'll be back Holy fuck. he's back now a word from our sponsor i'll be back i'll be back <laughs> i gave uh i gave uh knife talk a plug on facebook um yeah, I sent him a yeah. screenshot of that. They just came back, ha ha. I don't think they feel yeah. funny. Anyway, yeah, I don't know about. It. They don't understand Australians, mate. I, I don't think they do. I no, think it's very unprofessional. Here, well, they're right. It's good. Yeah, that's what we are. True that. Hey, any shout outs for people? Anyone want to give a shout out before we rack, rack off and get the day underway? Uh, no? Yeah. Yeah. No. I'll give a shout out to that. I'll try. And give a shout out to that guy whose name's so fucking oh, this long. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I couldn't believe when you showed me this on the weekend that that dude's got such a few, like, so he little followers, followers going on. 
And he's like... Well, he's got a, six of them came up on the weekend. Yeah, well, that's right. I don't remember his name. Yeah. What was it? Oh, Pierre. It started with oh, Pierre, oh. didn't it? Someone like that. Pierre. While you're looking for that, I want to give a shout-out to... Uh, I'm going to run the gauntlet here. Schwab's, Schwab's Custom Knives. S-C-H-W-A-B-S underscore custom underscore knives. Uh, Schwabzy, Schwabzy Wobzy, that's his nickname now, has uh, been in good contact with me about stuff, likes our podcast, um, likes having a laugh. He's getting into knife making and he's starting to do uh, some stuff on there. He did ask me if I wanted to put a super helpful tip up, but if you're listening, mate, I think I've got to get in touch with you and ask for you to explain your tip a little bit more before I can put it up to words. Um, but yeah, Schwab's, Schwab's custom knives. Go and give him a look at. Mert. Yes. Who do you want to say hello to today? Oh, I don't know if I said that. I, I was, <laughs> hang on, listen. I was trying to do Alistair Phillips. I was with him. Yeah, Alistair Phillips. He's based in Canberra. He makes beautiful folders. Didn't you give Alistair a shout out last week? Did I? When you went to his place and played with his thing. And by thing, I mean, yeah, I'll give him another shout out. Alistair's an all right bloke. He's all right. He's a good guy. (laughs) He's an all right bloke. He looks a bit bloody ragged at the moment. He needs to have a shave and a haircut. I'll give him that much. He traveled Japan with us. He did. Oh, man, I'm getting getting my memories up on that Facebook about the the Japan trip. It's pretty good. That was a fucking... He actually said... He actually sent me a picture of when we went to the uh, sushi place and I had French fries with chocolate sauce and cream. That was the best. That was like... It was, was awesome. <laughs> Apparently, he's, I think it was his daughters over there at the moment and they went to sushi bar and they didn't have them and she was really upset. We should, but, we, uh, should we should do a whole podcast on that trip and we can tell everybody how to be culturally sensitive and all the rest of it and what you must and mustn't Bruce. do. Bruce Beamish needs to be our guest on that podcast. Yeah. Because every time you every time you and I talk about it when Bruce is around, he gets the shits. Parker <laughs> was a good trip. He was. <laughs> well, I'm sure I gave a shout out to Alistair Phillips last week. How about I give to another folder maker, one of the Australia's best, Bastian Nice, Ali Bastian. Uh, if you guys yeah, if you guys don't know his work and uh, making his own Damascus and titanium Damascus and all that crazy stuff. So give give me a follow, Ali Bastian. Ali Bastian is a fucking legend. I, I he's got so Ali. much time for him. He's such a great. He's guy. a funny fucker. Oh, he's I've, a funny I've shared fucker. a room. Yeah. I've shared a room with him at Blade Show for the last two years. <laughs> um, he's a good roommate, actually. I've got to give him that much. But um, the last year was the first year over there, and we all got rotten blind drunk. Down the bar show. downstairs. Yeah, like we're talking like like even worse than usual. I haven't been so drunk in about twenty five years, I reckon. I got up to the room, went into the room and sat on the bed, mumbled something to Ali, and then literally just passed out. And then I woke up the next morning, crawled out of bed, and was halfway across the room to get me pants. And Ali Ali wakes up and goes what time did you get up and get undressed? <laughs> and I've just paused with one leg of my pants going, oh, shit. And I'm like, you didn't help me get undressed, did you? He's like, no. Nah. I'm like, oh, thank fuck for that. 
But yeah, he makes some really cool stuff. Um, I was talking to him a couple of years ago in Melbourne. I'm pretty sure it was Melbourne, might have been Adelaide. Um, and he was saying at the time that the number of people that could actually do titanium Damascus was like there were like seven people in the world or less. And it worked out that more people had walked on the moon than people had made titanium Damascus. Yeah, well, he's a freak. So, there you go. But He's a freak and he drives tractors. And we, Yeah, he does. We, we were talking about him <laughs> on the weekend. Um, talking about his, but it's not just his folders. He's made the most beautiful knife that I've ever seen. If you Google Ali Bastion's Beast, you'll get heaps of pictures of pretty girls, but there's a really nice knife as well. <laughs> and you'll find it, uh, Peter Del Rasso's post on Australian Blade Forums, Ali Bastion's Beast. It's the best knife I've ever held, touched, seen in, in all my time, and that was 2013. And then he started making those folders, which he does beautiful job of, and they're, 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 he does amazing work on. They're not everyone's cup of tea, but he's certainly got a market for them, and it's his full-time job, so he's doing what he needs to do. So, But his stuff Fuck is yeah. just unreal. Yeah, that's not pump him up too much, because if I have to share a room with him again, I won't fucking live it down. Nah, fair enough, fair enough. And he lives in he probably room. won't listen. Lives in a little probably, sharing little, shed in the middle of fucking nowhere, so no neighbours. The little bastard. The little bastard probably won't listen to the podcast anyway. No, probably not. <laughs> hey, Ali, right. listen to the podcast. Tag us something. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Episode 10. So the guy, that, I was, the guy that I'm going to shout out has had... Oh, shit, yeah. He had 80 followers on Instagram. He's now at 88 after the weekend. He makes folding knives, and he's got this lock mechanism, which is like... I mean, they're probably, it's not legal in Australia, but, you know, he's not in Australia, so whatever. But it, it toggles between either being an automatic or, which is, so the blade just flips open, or um, it just opens the blade slightly so you can open it manually. And the lock mechanism's really, really, I don't know, it's like the whole feature of the knife. It's really cool. So get your yeah, pens awesome. ready because this is why he's got no followers. G-U-I-L-L-A-U-M-E-D. U C A double S E C O U T E L I E R. Now go back and repeat that until you get all the letters. Uh, you probably listen to it about seven or eight times. It's Guillermo Cugasa Coutillier or something. I don't know, but fuck, brilliant, brilliant knife. Made that shit Instagram name. Guys, then he has eighty followers. Guard, I'd like to buy a vowel, please. I'd like to buy a vowel, please. <laughs> yeah no that's not the easiest that's not the easiest uh username he could have cool fucking lock folders and he'd make like a million more followers he's got 80 followers fucking unbelievable get onto him seriously replay that in slow motion when you're listening and uh go follow him and before we take G off, speaking about... <laughs> so talking about Fucking this, sure. Kev, you got published yeah. this year. You got published. Yeah. Yeah, exciting. So what do you... Um, I, didn't even, I didn't even know, but I have two knives this year in um, the Blade Magazine Knives 2020 Annual. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank Mert, you. Well done, man. Mert, you get any in there? Don't, don't know. Don't think so. No, I did, I did um, last I, year. I, right? You were in there last year, Mert. I think so. Yeah, I was in there. Yeah, last don't, year. don't be, don't be greedy. 
Okay. Wow. But I think that's the presidential edition. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, if, if anybody sees anybody's knives, Australian knife makers, knives in magazines, um, look, just uh, just tag us up in them. Um, there's, um, yeah, we hardly ever know. You don't know if you get published unless someone tells you. So, yeah, it'd be well, interesting. And, yeah. Andrew tagged me that uh, Good Food had a list of 40, uh, 40 people that you should be watching in the food scene. <coughs> so, Hardest 40, they call it Hardest 40. So, I was, in, I was included in the Hardest 40. Thanks to my dad bod. No, I think it was the nice. Well done, Mert. Well done, yeah. mate. They had, they, had me, um, they had me DP custom, and I think Tarwa at number 23 with the knife makers, custom knife makers. So I was listed in the good food before as a, as a chef, but now as a knife maker. So that was interesting. Awesome. All right, I'm going back to Fantastic. Bed. All right. Bye-bye. See you, boys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening, guys. See you later. Thank you for listening. Yeah, Joe, bye.